of Scripture, all of Scripture, points to Christ and has its fulfillment in Christ. Remember that at the end of the Gospel of Luke, Luke, is, Luke says Jesus has risen, he's about to leave, but before he does, he says, everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And so beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures, the things that concerned himself. All of scripture is meant to focus on Christ. You're listening to Life on the West Side. Here's Nathan Guy. I think it's interesting that most people, the average Bible consumer, has nine Bibles and is looking for more. And yet, every time we try to start with a daily Bible reading program, we usually get messed up right around Leviticus. Sometimes I'll tell my students when I want them to turn to either Leviticus or the Minor Prophets, I'll say, just turn your Bible sideways and look for the cleanest section. You know, that's where we don't read much. Leviticus stops us for all sorts of reasons, but you know, with all the Bibles we have and all the desire we have to have Bibles, why is it that Bible reading can end up feeling more like a chore? Why is it that so many of us don't really have daily Bible reading plans or goals? We want to. Doesn't mean we always do. And if reading is difficult, studying is even more difficult. Where to start, what to do, how to do it. I had somebody come to my office last week and say, I don't really know how to study the Bible. I don't know if I've ever been taught how to study the Bible. It made me think about maybe doing a series at some point about studying the Bible. But tonight, I thought, what if I could sort of think of the one thing I'd want to leave you with in just a one-off lesson about Bible study? Talk about it tonight. Okay, I'm going to tell you a story, and I want you to tell me who I'm talking about. Don't yell it out yet. He was born at a difficult time where the person in charge had announced, we are going to kill all the babies two and younger. He was able to survive being placed in straw and eventually held in the hands of royalty. Even as a baby, we find him in Egypt, but he comes out of there to redeem his people. And although he's an heir to royalty, this Hebrew Levite gives up his royal pedigree in order to take upon himself the form of a servant. He passes through water, a very important moment in his life. He then spends time in the desert wilderness where he has some real hardship. And then he climbs up on a mountain and he declares the message of God. Now, who am I talking about? And Jesus. Who am I talking about? Even as a young boy, people thought he was pretty special. There he is in the temple. He's talking to people and he's asking questions. And he's so good at what he does 
that the Bible says, and the child grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Who am I talking about? And Samuel. He was the king. And he carried with him the presence of God. This was a difficult moment. One of his own was trying to kill him, betray him. And he tells the rest of the people around him about this. And one of his three closest followers says, we will go with you to prison or to death. And so they band together and they cross the Kidron Valley and they go to the Mount of Olives. And carrying the presence of God, he bends down and he says to God, not my will, but yours be done. Who am I talking about? Jesus and King David. This is because all of Scripture, all of Scripture points to Christ and has its fulfillment in Christ. Remember that at the end of the Gospel of Luke, Luke, is, Luke says Jesus has risen, he's about to leave, but before he does, he says, everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And so beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things that concerned himself. All of scripture is meant to focus on Christ. How is that? Well, some scriptures prophesy about Christ. Pretty obvious. Get those messianic prophecies in the Old Testament looking forward. But even the not so obvious ones. I don't know exactly what to do about those angel of the Lord passages in the Old Testament. Some people call them theophanies, where you have this appearance and it begins by saying an angel of the Lord. By the time you're done with the story, it says, I was standing in the face of God and didn't know it. I wonder sometimes if that's what Jesus is referring to when he says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how long I've wanted to gather your children together like a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you weren't willing. I mean, if he's God, how do I know which member of the Godhead is the one who comes down in all those stories? Some passages show us Prepare us to appreciate what God provides and what we need. Think about the law. There's a lot of the Old Testament that's called the law. In fact, when in the New Testament they say, what do you read in the law? They're usually referring to five whole books of Moses. It's a lot of law in the Old Testament. But in Galatians, Paul says, the law was our schoolmaster. Do you remember how this ends? To bring us to Christ. The law somehow was supposed to point us to Christ. We learn in the law that I don't have what it takes, no matter how hard I try. And so I need to pass my sins onto this either scapegoat or this sacrificial animal. And I'm not worthy to enter the presence of God. And so somebody has to go for me. And we call him the high priest. And if only I had a high priest who could offer sacrifices, not just on occasion, 
but a sacrifice that would end all sacrifices. Wouldn't that be great? Some passages show us the results of Jesus's work. Think about the New Testament where in almost every letter Paul writes, you can divide a line right down the middle of it. Ephesians is the best example, but you see this in all of Paul's books. In Ephesians, you've got six chapters and there are 43 commands. A command is where he says, do this, do that. 43 commands in Ephesians, 42 of them are in the second half of the book. That is, he says, let me tell you what God's done for you. Let me tell the story of God redeeming the world in Christ. Let me retell the Old Testament story, but see it through the Jesus lens. And then he says, therefore, here's how our lives should be different. Here's how the church should look. Here's what we're looking forward to. And it's all because of the work God did in Jesus. Kind of reminds me of that passage in Deuteronomy 5 and verse 6. Before Paul gives the law, he says, I want you to remember who I am. I am the God who called you by name, led you out of Egypt. Therefore, here's the law. And what do you get in the New Testament? Because of Christ, because of his righteousness, I can stand with him. I'm secure in my salvation. Therefore, I need to live in such a way that the world may know that God sent his son, Jesus, and they should see it through how I live my life. All scripture can be read through a gospel lens, which means that all of scripture is now reappropriated so that every verse is now a verse through which I can see Christ and therefore see God better than I did before. I want to show you where this happens in, in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3. It's an interesting uh, passage to use as an example because it's easy to sort of misunderstand. I want to start in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15. I learned passages in the King James, so I'm going to use the King James here. The passage said, study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Well, all of that sounded like the Bible to me. Study what? The Bible. So that you can rightly divide the word of truth. What's that? The Bible. And so I made it my duty to memorize as much as I could of the Bible. Before I say anything else, can I say it is a good thing to memorize verses of the Bible? You've heard me say that, right? That's not what it's talking about. Other versions can help you sometimes, not because other versions necessarily are better, but other versions help you see things from a different angle. There are times in which the King James helps me see things from a different angle. Let me say something very positive about King James. Uh, later versions try to use uh, more modern ways we talk, and the modern ways we talk isn't always better. Um, whenever we talk about you singular or you plural, what's the word we use? You. It's very unhelpful. King James will separate between ye, plural, and thou, singular. And I love that. By the way, two-thirds of the time in the New Testament, when the Bible says you, it's ye. If you want a modern English translation that brings this out, tell them to use good Southern English and use the word y'all. But more modern translations may help you see that in verse 15, study 
Study doesn't mean to hit the books. In fact, if you think back to the way they used the word study in King James Day, when you make a study of something, it wasn't just to sit down and read books. It was to make it your aim, make it your goal. And then it says, King James, study, to show yourself approved. Well, I thought that meant if I recognize and memorize my Bible, then maybe I will be approved by God. But follow that logic to where it ends, and you'll realize that doesn't work with everything else we see in Scripture, where my credibility in Christ, my salvation in Christ, is not dependent on how many verses I've memorized. In fact, it seems because I'm secure in Christ, I can find room, encouragement, and motivation to seek to live for him. And isn't that exactly what he's saying? A more modern version will say, make it your aim to present yourself as one approved. Sounds very different, doesn't it? Rightly dividing the word of truth is interesting, too. I'm sure there are verses that talk about the importance of dividing the line between the Old Testament and the New Testament. That's really not what he's getting at here. He's talking about how the word that comes from the lips of God, the message that changes the world, begins to change your life too. So that as people watch the way you live, they will know that the word of God is true. I'll show you two ways why I think that's what's going on here. First is the end of the next chapter. 2 Timothy 3, beginning in verse 12, says, All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus are going to be persecuted. But as for you, verse 14, continue in what you've learned, knowing from whom you learned it. And from a child, you've known the sacred writings, the holy scriptures that are able to make you wise for salvation. For all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. In isolation, it sounds as if this is a passage affirming reading your Bible. But we need to back up a second. He's, the, the word he's talking about, the scriptures here, is something that he knew from the time he was little. So we can go ahead and count out the New Testament. It was still being written. So at best, what we could say is he's talking about the Old Testament. But let's be, let's be a bit more cautious here. The reason why he's bringing up, you've had your nose stuck in the scriptures, is not because of the verses you've memorized, but because of verse 12, the life God wants you to lead. And verse 17, the work God wants you to do. And so now as a Christian, looking back on those Old Testament scriptures, remembering that I've been approved by God because of Christ, remembering that I need to handle a right the message about Christ. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing, and by his kingdom. Please notice how many times Christ is the object here. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. We're so used to thinking that every time you see the word in the New Testament, that's referring to the Bible. But wait a second. The phrase for Bible most often is scripture. 
grama. And if it's word for scripture, it's rhema. But here, the word is logos. It's the same word used in First Timothy, in First Corinthians chapter fifteen, where Paul says, "Remember the gospel I preached to you, by which you are saved. The word, the message, that changes the world." In the book of Acts, the word of God spread. The word of God grew. The word of God multiplied. This is before the New Testament was written. Most of the time when the New Testament tells us about the word, it's talking about the preached message about Christ. And if you want to see how this looks in translations, I want to introduce you to another passage that's very familiar, but it will sound different in a modern translation. How many remember this verse by heart? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's Romans 10, 17. In the New Revised Standard, it changes the, the last phrase. And it's because in the Greek, the phrase at the end is different. What it says is faith comes by hearing and hearing by the message about Christ. What I'm trying to get at is it wasn't a bad translation to call it word of God. But it's a faulty understanding if we think the goal of Bible study is to know your Bible. The goal of Bible study is to know Christ. The word that changes lives is the message of Christ. And the Bible contains the message of Christ. It's on every page. It's in every story. It's in every word. Read the Bible to know Jesus and watch how he changes your life. Thanks for joining. No one has ever loved you like Jesus Christ. I hope you feel that love in every sermon that's preached on this podcast. You can find more sermons, transcripts, study guides at nathanguide.com. Please stay tuned for another lesson and rest in the love of Christ.